This morning, I'm going to read to you a scripture out of Psalm 11, verse 3, as we begin to think about uh, transformation, this year of transformation, how can this transformation occur within our lives in such a way that we would become a changed people. That's God's objective. His priority is that we be changed, that we don't be the same person that we were last year, year before, whatever years might have preceded this time. Even the person that we were, even yesterday, thing that God wants us to do is make progress in our lives so that we're in a constant state of change and we're changing for the, we're changing either way, but either changing for the better or for the worse, but God's objective and his, his intent for us is that we change for the better. So here in Psalm 111, I believe it helps us to understand uh, some things in relation to uh, our walk as Christians and our fight against the enemy. He says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, it speaks of foundations, several foundations, foundations that are under attack, foundations, let's say that I would venture to say the fundamentals on which civilization is erected. If those foundations are destroyed, we know they're being attacked, but if they are destroyed, then what can the righteous do? And this morning I'm going to use for a subject Christ at the core, because we're going to talk about uh, fundamentals, we're going to talk about priorities, we're going to talk about the importance of making sure that we're standing as we ought to stand and not allowing the enemy to trick us or dupe us into uh, releasing something or stepping away from something that's very essential to our walk and our faith in Him. So if the foundations, if the foundations are destroyed, if they are destroyed, if they are destroyed, we mentioned they are being attacked, but if they are destroyed, what can the righteous do? What freedoms would be left for the righteous? What freedoms would we have if the foundations are destroyed? Understand what would happen if those foundations were in fact destroyed. What it would do, it would bind the hands of God's people. That's what will happen. The uh, intent of the enemy is to arrest us, arrest our activities, to arrest our expressions of faith, so that we do not, we no longer have the liberties to say and do the things that God would have us to say and to do. But if the foundations are destroyed, then what happens, the enemy will put us into a prison where we would become the prisoners and would be restricted in our expressions of faith. Foundations, foundations. The attack of the enemy is at the very core of civilization. He's attacking fundamentals, basic elements that must be established if progress is in fact to be made. What are some, as we look at these core values, things that I call these non-negotiables, question 
that comes to mind is what do you really believe? I'm not saying what do you, what, would, what do you project as a belief system, but what do you really believe? Let me tell you something. What do you really believe? Your life will give expression to your belief system. Things that you really believe, your lifestyle will express that. I don't care how many times you may say, I believe this, I believe that. That can become a, a, uh, uh, something that you quote. But what do you really believe? What are your beliefs? What are your core values? What are your core beliefs? I would say that we talk about core values and core beliefs. What are the non-negotiables in your life? What are the things that I don't care what happens around you, what happens even to you, these are things that you won't give up. You won't give up. You're going to hold on to this regardless of whatever attack you may be under at any given time. Because let me tell you something, your faith is being tried now. Your faith is being tried. It is being tried even to this very day, this very hour. It is being tried by fire. The enemy is trying to get you to relent. He's trying to give you to give up, give in, give up, throw your hands up and say, what's the use? And there are many that are caving in today. There are many that are caving in under the, uh, under the uh, I will say, the pressure that's being brought to bear against us. There are many people that just throwing their hands up. And they say, look, and, and when, they say, when I say give up, I'm not saying they don't give up as far as uh, appearance is concerned. But we're talking about the heart now. They, they've, they, they've had a place where they might, on the outside, still give an expression of a particular thing, but in their hearts, they have really given up. They've given up. But here we're talking about, this is why the Word of God is so important, is that God begins to do a work within us, to strengthen us from the inside, that your inner man may be strengthened. So when the external attacks occur, when the things occur on the outside, uh, that you continue to stand firm and that you continue to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work, in the Word of the Lord. So this is what this is all about. Now, now John the Baptist said something very profound when, he, uh, when they came out to see him. He began to say, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? And, you know, uh, here's something, the point I want to make when it comes to foundation. He said, now the axe is laid at the very root of the tree. He said, the axe is laid at the root of the tree. What he's really saying, he says, now what I'm doing what he was doing, he was saying, understand the foundation that the Lord had established. He said, now the foundation that the enemy had established, that had infiltrated politics, that had infiltrated government, that had infiltrated religion. You see, every, I would say, every pillar of society had been infiltrated. And when John the Baptist, the prophet, showed up, he said, now what I'm going to do, I'm coming to uh, I'm coming not with a scaffold, not with not just surgically removing certain things that might need to be removed. He said, "No, I'm coming, and I'm coming to with an axe to begin to uproot the very foundation that is a false foundation that has been laid, and now understand it has produced. So now we see trees growing." We begin to see a forest existing, but we understand it is contrary or counterproductive to that which God would have erected. 
So he says, he comes in, he says, now we see the tree, we see the fruit of that tree, and understand now we see uh, corrupted fruit from those trees that have been growing. And then John, and then what he's really doing, he was really going to uh, helping us understand something of what Jeremiah the prophet had received in his calling here in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 10 where he says, where the Lord said to Jeremiah, see I have this day set you over nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down so that uh, I may build and plant and what he was really saying, this is, we see the parallel between what uh, Jeremiah was saying prophetically uh, a long time ago and then what John the Baptist said later on. He was really saying, they were saying the same thing. They were saying the same thing. He was saying that what I've done, I have given you prophetic jurisdiction. I've given you uh, jurisdictional rule. He said, you have the right to speak. You have, look here, you have the moral authority now to address those issues even though there are many that would not receive you. I hope you're listening to me now. He said, you have the moral authority. You have the jurisdictional right. In fact, what he says, I've placed you, I've set you over nations. I've set you over kingdoms. I've set you. Now, look at the expanse of his, his jurisdictional rule. He said, I've set you over nations, and I've set you over kingdoms. So, we begin to look at, right now, we begin to look at the fact that uh, we were saying the prophetic, the prophet himself may be, uh, let's say, pushed into a corner where no one is really paying attention to what he has to say. Are there those that would reject his word and even stone prophets and the like? But the Lord is saying, regardless of their response to you, I have given you jurisdiction rule. You have, you have permission from me. I have ordained you to speak what you're speaking. I have ordained you to say the things that you're saying. Now, now that's, I would tell you what, that to me is encouraging to know that when I speak and when you speak, when we speak, that we have the moral authority to address those issues that we address. That it's not a matter of saying we're just nosing into somebody else's business. No, we must say those things. We must address those issues. Those issues should not be something that we walk away from or that we shun away from, but we must address those issues where the world and the devil are tacking at their very point. If we flinch at that point, then we're not professing Christ. We're not professing Christ <clears throat> or confessing Christ, regardless of how loud we may be professing it. It is the moral authority that God has given us as the people of God that we must stand and we must say the things that God would have us to say. When I get excited now, things that can be easily dispensed of. There are some things that people in this day and hour can relax and release without giving it a second thought. There are things that in our day now, I call that surrender. I call that surrender. I'm saying when a people would just throw their hands up and they begin to give in to the pressure that's being brought to bear against this generation. I call that surrender. 
I call that, you're saying to the enemy when you throw your hands up, you say, enemy, you can have your way. You can just have at it. This is not the time to surrender. He says, so those things that can be easily dispensed of, then we get permission for the devil to attack in those areas. I call it, and here's something else to be careful about. <clears throat> Church, don't, there are things that we need to let go of, but then there are some things we need to hold on to. I would say to you, don't throw the baby away with the bathwater. Don't, don't throw the baby with the bathwater. When we begin to, we begin to examine the church, we begin to examine activities in which we engaged in, we begin to try all things, but the Bible says, but hold fast, what does it say? To that which is good. So, what happens, we prove all things. There are some things that we have to let go of because they're not proven. But then it says, but hold fast to those things which are good. There are some things we need to hold on to. And don't let it all go because of modernity, because now there are trends that are moving in a particular direction. I begin to look at it this way. When I talk about this, this statement about throwing the baby away with the bathwater, some people throw things away because they don't see any need for it. They don't see any use for it any longer. But think about a baby now. Think about a baby. A baby? I, I, I heard this statement many years ago, throwing baby bath water, but I began to really think about it. A baby is helpless. A baby appears uh, as if the child doesn't have anything to contribute to society. So when we begin to weigh all things based upon practicality, it's easy to get to the place of throwing the baby away with the bathwater. See, uh, there's a word called unit, uh, utilitarianism. Utilitarianism is actions that are right and useful if they serve the benefit of the majority. That's what utilitarianism is. It's when something, actions are right, and they're useful if they serve the benefit of the majority. So, in other words, majority rules. If we can do a particular thing and a greater number of people are served as a result of it, then they see that thing as being something that is acceptable and something that they can fully embrace. In other words, the greater good for the greater number is really what utilitarianism is all about. The greater good for the greater number. So, understand what it's really saying is we begin to look at our systems today, even when it comes to democracy, and, and understand I'm, I'm not anti-democracy, but I want you to look at even all of those systems that are established today, we have to also look at it from both ends. Because when you take God out of the picture, when you take Christ out of the picture, I don't care what kind of system you set up, it becomes counterproductive when you remove Christ from it. So when you look at majority rule, majority rule, what, what happens if it's majority rule and Christ is not ruling, guess what you have? You got a mess. Because now the people are fickle. The people are, are, are at a place whereby their minds can change at a millisecond. And what happens, you begin to see even our democratic government shifting towards an end that does not, it may serve what appears to be the common good, but is working against that which appears to be good now, ultimately develops into that which is evil. So the baby, the baby that is growing, the baby that is developing, <clears throat> points towards our future. So what happens, we begin to see that which is in the, in the embryonic stage, 
as being useless. Now, listen to what I'm saying here. You've got to listen very carefully. Even as it relates to the Word of God, why would the Word be called seed? Why would the Word be called seed? It is called seed is because, understand, it is planted within the hearts of individuals so that the Word received can develop into full maturity and full use within us. But what happens if you begin to look at even what is taking place right here now, you're sitting here hearing the Word of the Lord, if you just look at it and say, what good is this doing me? What good is this? What purpose does this serve me right here now? I got some things that I need to handle at home. I got some things I need to handle with my family. I got some things, we got some governmental issues. We have some uh, economic issues that's existing in our day. But understand this, the seed of the Word is sufficient to address all of those issues, but it is addressed, it is rejected because people cannot see any use for it. But when they see a use for a particular thing, they gravitate that which they see. But how do we walk? We walk by faith and not by sight. So therefore, the seed causes us to be a prophetic people so that we're projecting into the future development of that which we have in fact received. We see the Word of God working. We see that which God has spoken producing what He said it will produce. And if, that be not, if that's not the case, then you'll find a whole lot of people gravitating in various directions and being misled because they're being guided by utilitarianism. They see a particular thing and they say, we want the greatest use for the greatest number of people. I hope I'm making sense to you here. So now, and it's justified. So the tragedy today is that Christ, as He really is, has no place even in many modern churches today. I'm talking about Christ as He is, not Christ as we like for Him to be. Not Christ, not God made after our image, but us being made in the image of God. But here's what happens. In the modern church today, many churches, they have no use for Christ as He is. Not as they would like for him to be, or they assume he is, but as he really is. Now, we're talking foundations now. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, it says here, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone in whom, now this is what he says. Let's, let's look at this very carefully. He says, now, what happens? We begin to see he gave some, you know the whole scripture. But what happened, he said, it is all built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the words, prophetic word, the apostles who were the expression of that through Jesus Christ. He said, and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, the cornerstone is that which holds all things together. If you remove the cornerstone, you don't have to go through a whole lot of work to demolish a building, just remove his cornerstone and the building will fall. He said, but Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fit together. But then it goes on to say, look at the future. Look at the future. We begin to see the church in its developmental stage. We see the church in its embryonic stage. Even here today, those that are 
taking hold of the Word of the Lord, you say, well, what's really going on? What's really happening? Is it really worth our while to engage? But watch what he says. It grows. It grows up. We grow into a holy temple in the Lord. We grow into a holy temple. In the, end of the Lord is saying, he says, he's going to inhabit the place where the truth is being uh, spoken. He will inhabit the place where the truth, where, where we begin to speak the truth, the Lord says, I will inhabit those people. Whatever else may be impressive, the Lord says, but what good is it if I'm not in it? What good is it? He's, what happens? You say, well, did not I do this thing, that thing, and the other? He said, but depart from me, you workers. I, you see what he said? Workers, but you're workers of iniquity. Why are you workers of iniquity? He said, because I never knew you. He didn't say, I don't know you. I never knew you. He said, you didn't come to that place of intimacy with me. So, he says here that, that it's being built together for a dwelling place of God. Now, now, this is God in the Spirit, and he speaks of a permanent house in which he will dwell. He will dwell not just visit. It won't be a guest house. It will be his permanent residence. The Lord will dwell among his people. So, so now, who is Christ, and what is his significance to us? Christ is perfect humanity. He is perfect humanity. The epitome of perfection, of perfect humanity, is, is in Christ, is Christ Jesus. He is the peak of perfection. He is the highest goal ever, ever to be achieved or accomplished. When we get to that place of seeing Christ as He is, you can't go any further than that. That's as high as you can go. That's as far as you can reach. It is Christ. So, so now, as we begin to think about that, see, we, we, we're brought to a place in Christ to take what appeared as small, something that appeared as small and insignificant, but now we begin to take those things seriously. See, that thing didn't look like it was that much, but understand this, it's still a seed that's going to grow into something great. But we got to take that seriously. You can't take it lightly as if it's insignificant. It doesn't mean much. No, even in its embryonic stage, in its embryonic phase, we must take it seriously because what happens, we are already projecting prophetically into the future as to what God is in the process of developing that seed into becoming. Am I in the right church? Okay, I want to make sure y'all still with me now. And, and when that is, in fact, the case, Look at where it places us, that we can't afford to fudge a little bit. We got to stay faithful, faithful to that which God has given us so that it can develop into what God desires for it to become. We can't cheat a little bit. We can't even fudge a little bit. We have to be faithful to what God has spoken. See, see <clears throat> even though many others may reject it, you can't do it. You can't do it. Look at what happens when you reject Christ, when you reject Christ. Look at, the, look at the end result of rejecting Christ. You say, okay, the Lord is not looking, therefore, there's some little things I can get away with, and uh, I can always, uh, you know, it's not that much anyhow, because look at all the good I've done. Look at all the good I've done. So, what, what's the big deal if I, if, if I just have a little affair on the side? 
Look at look what happened. Do you realize how many women I had to pass up? And you're going to make a big deal out of the fact that I just had an affair with one? I passed up 40. I just, so for the wife, you ought to understand, honey, you ought to understand. Look at, you see, because I am more faithful than unfaithful. <laughs> what would the wife say? Her husband. Huh? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. <laughs> husband or, or vice versa. It could be the other way around, too. You see, you, you say, I just, first, you see, what, what happens even in various areas of life, we, people don't think that little things are important. They call them little things, but they are not little in God's eyes. They're essential to our walk with God. God takes, He takes all of these things seriously, and He's concerned that we don't fudge on what we consider to be little things. You see, I, I begin to think about that even as, you know, well, I didn't steal everything. I, I mean, all these, all these uh, pencils, we make pencils. I just stole a few. We, we, we involved it. You see, they're little, I didn't do a whole lot. I just a little bit. You see what I mean? Taking actions. So, so therefore, but in that, you're despising God's standard of righteousness and moving towards your own standard, looking at quantity rather than quality. As long as the numbers add up, that's all that really matters. I call this we remember many years ago, they had the age of tolerance. I believe we face that age of tolerance again. This whole thing of accepting anything and everything. I'm thinking about a, 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 an engineer, architect, is in the process of building a building, a skyscraper. And he's, he, he's drawing the plans for skyscraper. We got some engineers here, but an architect is drawing some plans for skyscraper. And he began to, I mean, he, he's measuring and he's involved in making sure that all the numbers add up. Then he gets a little anxious, a little, little anxious about it. He said, well, it won't make that much of a difference. It's just uh, uh, a few numbers off, a few, you know, few, few digits off. So therefore, we just push this aside and keep going. But you know what? The higher, when that building is erected, the higher the building goes, the more significant that little error is going to make. And you know what? And I wouldn't trust that building. I wouldn't trust walking in there. Because you see what happens? That little bit eventually could cause the whole structure to collapse. I hope I'm speaking something. You see, that's what happens. So the enemy's objective is to get people to the place where there are things that they are, people are willing to compromise. And what happens, the more, you see, you become more unstable as a result of your elevation. The higher up you go, the more unstable you become. But the problem goes right back to what? Foundation. It all goes back to foundation. And what happens, it has to do Christ. If you get Christ right, if you get Christ right, listen to me very carefully, if you get Christ right, then you're right to choose your profession. You're right to choose whatever area you believe you want to go into. If you get Christ right, but if you get Christ wrong, I don't care what profession you may choose or what direction you may choose to go into. I'm speaking to students now. Well, I want to uh, study this thing, that thing, and the other. Get Christ right, and then choose your profession 
and excel in that because you're then posture to make a difference in the world. But if you get Christ wrong, guess what? Everything else you engaged in will be wrong. I don't care how impressive it may be, you get it wrong unless you get Christ right. So, but we mentioned the enemy's objective is to work against your foundation. His whole thing, if I can, I want to get you to deny Christ. I want to get you to a place where you begin to forsake uh, your foundation and you begin to move in a different direction. You, you see, that's what happens. That's the enemy's objective. So that uh, you, you, when you give him up, then the enemy says, then you can have those successes and those other things that you may be uh, seeking after in life. Now, let me get to this part because I want you to see what happens. We talk about the embryonic stage and the whole, the whole process of growth and development. Here's something we have to be honest with. Growth is painful. Growing is painful. Are you hearing me now? It, it, it's painful to grow. It, it's, it's not something, you see, uh, painful. We have to make painful choices as we grow. Painful choices. In other words, it requires discipline. It, requires, it means that there are certain practices that you must be engaged in and you must be consistent in doing those particular things regardless. And it can be very painful. I call it growing pains. Because understand, to grow is painful. I'm telling you, to grow is painful. I'm, you see, to grow to any degree of spiritual growth, particularly, even physically, you see, it's painful. You, because, because understand, what happens as you grow, there's always this need for adjustment. The Lord is adjusting you. He is correcting you. You, you follow what I'm saying? There are adjustments that need to be made. He'll say, I'm growing a particular way, but, but then what happens? I'm growing in the wrong direction. I'm moving in the wrong. I didn't know it, but God knows when you're growing. And what He does, He disciplines us to bring us back so that we're brought back to where we need to be. And we're growing as we ought to grow. That's what God does. Here's a scripture. Here in uh, Hebrews chapter 12. And verse 5, he says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Let's stop there for a moment. Don't despise. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I had to stop there because I think about chastening, pain. Who's bringing about that pain? The Lord. The Lord. I understand the devil's work and the Lord's work, but the Lord permits it. He says, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. And, and, and it's easy to despise it. He said, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Wait a minute, Lord, I love you with my whole heart, my soul, my strength, my mind, and everything else that I have. And you're telling me that you're going to rebuke me. First of all, you're going to chasten me, and then you're going to rebuke me. You're going to rebuke me. In other words, when the Lord rebukes us, He is saying, I'm telling you that this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't the way you're supposed to go. And I'm not pleased. You see, I, in other, I rebuke you. I, 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 I'm telling you, I'm not pleased with your activity. I'm not pleased with your behavior. Wait a minute, Lord. I love you. Do you still love me? Lord, I still love you, but I rebuke you. Because He goes on to say, for whom the Lord loves, He chastens. Whom the Lord loves, he chases. But let's add rebuke to that. 
whom the Lord loves, he corrects. He chastens and he corrects. But then it goes a step further than that and scourges. Wait a minute now. I got to get off this ship. And scourges? What do you mean by scourging? Severely punishing. Severely punishes every son whom he receives. Now, now understand, I got, that don't sound like the God that most people serve. Because now you're talking about, you talk about chastening, you talk about rebuking, and you're talking about scourging, and you're talking about the God of love. That doesn't sound like love to me. Not me, I'm just saying, people would say that. So, because here's what God is doing. He wants you to understand the severity of the issue requiring greater levels of correction. He said, this thing is more severe than you at this given point in your life realize. So, he is saying to us, I am telling you and I am going to make known to you how serious this particular thing is. Now, you said it wasn't that serious. It's just a little bit of something, a little fudging. Lord said, no, no, no. This thing is very, very serious. Now, let me tell you something. I'm preaching to y'all, but I'm also talking to myself because I have to live up to the same standard that I share with you. And I said, so, Lord, here's what I'm saying. I said, Lord, I said, when, when, I, when I preach messages like this, I shudder because I realize, I said, boy, this thing is really tight. This thing is really serious. Do you follow what I'm saying? And I said, and God holds me responsible to live up to this standard. But he also has given me, I talk about jurisdictional uh, rule and moral authority, he has given me the responsibility to share this with you. Why? Because whom he loves. Wait a minute. That's God expressing his love towards you. He said, this is how much I love you, that I'm going to speak the truth in love. So he says, although the Lord loves, he chastens. He chastens. But then it goes on to say, if you endure chastening, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons, as sons. We're, we're speaking, understand, he's a son, female, male or female. He deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? What son among you that the father does not It is saying that, uh, here's what my dad used to say. I, I used to we, we stay out, we want to stay out to nine, after 9 o'clock. He said, at 9 o'clock, I want you on this side of our, this is, the, this is uh, the line. This is our property line. You need to be on this side of the property line at 9 o'clock. You can't be headed towards the property line at, at, at 9. You can't be a step beyond. But you're to be on this side of the property line. Now, I'm showing you what a line is. This is where you need to be. When the, we had a whistle that blew at nine, whistle blow at nine o'clock. He said, when the whistle blows at nine, you're to be on this side of the line. And you know, in other words, if you don't, guess what? You got something, you're going to pay for it. So, so what happened? We'd be running. We'd be running, trying to get home before 9 o'clock. And then we hear that whistle. I said, oh, Lord. We used to even have a little saying, it's time for Hawk to catch you. <laughs> Hawk, Hawk was the police chief. And I got a chance to see him, little old pudgy fella. I said, man, all these years I've been scared of Hawk. <laughs> but but back to, back to, back to uh, the, this whole thing. 
You see what the Lord does? He loves us, therefore he chases those who he loves. He said, but here's what I said, what about, what about, uh, I'd start naming other kids. I said, I said, they stay out to 930. <laughs> I said, the neighbor's kids can stay out to 915, 930. They, they still having fun, and we are running home trying to get home. And I got to say, oh, I got to get home for my daddy. Get a hold of me. And, and, and here's what happens. He said, he said, no. He said, they're not my children. You are my child. So I'm not going to whip them. That's the language he used. Whip. You ever heard that word before? I know, 21st. Y'all know. He said, I'm not going to whip them. I'm going to whip you if you don't get it here by 9 o'clock. Do you see that? So, so what happens, and, and at the time, I despise that. I despise. I said, Dad, why do you have to be so hard on us? I have to be so hard on us. Sometimes his, sometimes his, his, his correction was a little heavy-handed, but overall, when you begin to assess it based upon uh, what I learned through it, I appreciate it all. You see, I appreciate it. Not a perfect parent, but I grew to appreciate it. So now, because now that was really discipline being established within my life so that I would not live my life so loosely. And it also directed me towards having reverential fear towards God, <laughs> towards God. So now when we think about my dad and we thought about a thought, he was a little strict. But God now is saying, I'm letting you know I've drawn parameters. I've set I've set a standard for your life, and you're not to live your life any kind of way. He said, so, so, but if you are, he said, but if fathers would deal with you as sons, for what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of whom all have become partakers, you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, this is New Testament now, we have human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be subjection, in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. So therefore some of their correction might not have been so accurate, but they did what they seemed best to them. He said, but he for our prophet who knows what's right, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, I, I know I just have a few more minutes, but what I want to do in these next few minutes is understand how do we analyze pain? How do we analyze pain? Because we talk about chastening, analyzing internal pain and displeasure. There's a difference between uh, physical pain and emotional pain or emotional disturbances. But how do we analyze pain when we're going through something emotionally, pain within the soul? How do we analyze that? When, when, because all of us have been there when you have felt this heavy-heartedness, and uh, David even felt it. We said, why? You cast out, O oh my soul, why are you so disquieted within me? 
hope in the Lord for the sake of my countenance. But, but understand what has happened, psychoanalyzing the pain, uh, psychoanalyzing it, uh, the conditions of soul, what will happen, people begin to look at, they look at what is happening, but not look at why it is happening. They can't go back far enough. I'm not saying it's good to understand psychologists and psychoanalysts and all that. They have their place. But we're talking about going all the way back to the root, all the way back to the root. And when you start searching it all the way back to the root, you'll begin to trace it back to something that God is wanting to correct within us. We're talking about psychological, social pain, the pain of the soul. God is saying, He said, I'm, I'm going to give you some God co corrective measures to restore things back, it'll be back to His rightful place. Now, this is transformation. It's to carry within our lives of a people and society to bring us back to Christ, the place that Christ would have us occupy. His place of authority over all things. That's God's objective. And here's what He does. This scripture here really jumped out at me as I began to think about the corrective measures that God takes to bring us back to the place. I'm not saying that you will suffer pain, but you begin to interpret pain differently. I'm talking about soul, pain within the soul, rather than saying, well, well, well I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. Somebody did something to me that I don't like. But the pain of the soul, the pain of the soul, the pain that takes place deep within us, we begin to analyze it much differently when we come to the place of seeing and knowing the Lord as He would have us to know Him, and as we allow that discipline to occur within our lives. This is what the Lord says in, in, in Isaiah chapter 11, uh, Isaiah 26 rather, at verse 3, Isaiah 26 and 3, He says, you will keep Him in perfect peace. You will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because He trusts in you. Did you hear something here? He said, he will, you will keep him, the Lord will keep him in perfect peace. In other words, you have peace with God. And then you come to the place of having the peace of God. And even when disturbances are taking place all around you, you begin to interpret merely, you be interpreted as an object lesson. God is teaching me something in the midst of whatever pain or misfortune I may at this particular juncture be experiencing. He said, because what is he doing? He is perfecting me so that I'm no longer a reactionary to the situations and circumstances that come my way. Because beforehand, let me tell you something, something would happen a particular way and it would just throw you into a tizzy. You say, look, I can't eat, I can't sleep, I can't do anything. I'm just, I'm just out. Of, I'm just out. I can't do a thing. I'm paralyzed. I'm paralyzed by my internal pain. But then the Lord begins to lift you above that measure. But it only takes place through discipline. After you've gone through some things with the Lord, the Lord began to share you. He said, the situation is still there, but the pain, you've been, the pain has been alleviated. It is not covered up. He said, the reason that that thing does not hurt you like it used to hurt you is because now you have become a different person. <laughs> you become a different person. Uh, I was in the car yesterday, me and, uh, me and Tori. No, no, we were riding together. 
me and Willie Torrey riding together. And, and, and Willie, Willie didn't have any, you know, he'll just say it. <laughs> he'll say what he think. He'll say what he think. And, and, and he says it. It's good. It's good because he'll, he'll let you know. He, 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 said, he said, Pastor, how are you doing with your road rage? <laughs> now, you said that, didn't you? You, you said, that's what he said. He said, I said, wait a minute, man. I wanted to defend. I said, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> road rage. <laughs> road rage. I never saw it as road rage. <laughs> I saw it as this drivers disturbing me because they cut me off and they did certain things they ought not do. But, but then, but then, Tory, you know, Willie, how are you doing with your road rage? It was a check with me, and I said, uh, somebody did something foolish in front of me, and I, I kept my, I held my peace. In fact, he said it after I held my peace. Because something happened, and I said, well, I think I mentioned, I said, that driver, I said, boy, he, he really didn't have the right of way, but uh, I had to let him have it anyhow. So, 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 then, then he said, but, but that was evident. I said, well, praise God, I did react a little differently than I used to. Even though I was cut off, I just said, well, that driver is really, he's such and such and such. I said, well, I can venture to say that the Lord is at work. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord that work in me. Because, you see, He will keep you in perfect peace. He will keep you in perfect peace. We were talking about this yesterday, too. talking about how we meditate on the Word, meditate on the Lord, spending time quiet before the Lord. And when you're quiet before the Lord, the things you learn from Him and, and how He settles you during those times. So, when you face a particular thing, you have already been prepared to face it. So, He will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Him because you trust in the Lord. God sets boundaries for us, and within those boundaries, our peace abides. He set those boundaries. He set those boundaries. He said, well, what am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm setting boundaries in your life, so now you will only go so far. You will only go so far. Beforehand, you had no limits. You just, you, you, you see, you just cross the line and you'll you, you just blow up, you'll flare up, whatever. He said, I will set boundaries within your life. So, there's only so far you'll go. There's only so far you'll go. I will keep you perfect. You see, I, I, let me help you understand this scripturally too. What he says here, he says here in the fourth chapter of Ephesians, chapter 2, he helps us to understand this. He says, admonish, he admonished us to walk, first of all, admonishing us to walk worthy of our calling. Now, now you see what overrides and overrules it all? Our calling. Who you've been called to become. You see, future tense. You're called into a particular thing. You've been called to become. You've been called to become. So, you're being developed into becoming. Are you still with me? You're being developed into becoming. So, now that calling overrides and overrules all other things. He says, now he goes on to say, now here's what you do. He says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Now, we mentioned already that the Lord chastens the one He loves. So, now what happens? That chasing rod may come through somebody else. 
Do you see that? Bearing with one another in love. He said that chastening, that, that rod, that chastening rod may come through some others. He said, but now you're bearing with one another in love. You can tolerate what you otherwise would not tolerate. Why? Because now you can bear with one another in love. He said, you know, the Lord just might be using you. <laughs> the Lord just might be using a particular situation in order to perfect me. Are you saying something here? You say, the Lord, now let me tell you, I'm, I'm being honest with you, you don't always think this way. But I'm telling you, as we grow in the things of God, we need to start thinking this way. We start thinking this way. He says, so now what happens, we're, we're bearing with each other in gentleness, bearing with each other in love, but here's the objective, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Now, now I, I had a conversation many years ago with Dr. McCaleb, who's now with the Lord. We had a conversation about this word endeavoring. He said, man, he said, why would God put that word in there? Endeavoring. <laughs> he said, that's a strong word, isn't it? Endeavoring. He said, he said, you understand the weight of that word endeavoring? Endeavoring. It means I have set my heart and mind, everything about me, to maintain this posture in this position, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit, so we're flowing in the same direction within the parameters of peace. Follow peace. Without, no man shall see the Lord. We are maintaining peace. Peace. So therefore, if I'm, he's the Prince of Peace now. Jesus principle. So what I'm really doing, I'm learning Christ <laughs> through every experience that I may encounter in life. The Lord is helping me to know something of who He is through the things that I encounter in life. The question is, what is God saying to me through the things that I encounter? What? Here's another question. What may I, what is it that I may be doing that may not really measure up to God's standard? Could it be that some of the things I'm engaged in doesn't measure up to his standard and God is saying to me through things that I'm facing that it doesn't measure up to his standard? He said, there's a standard, you see, that there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. Even when we think we're right, even when we think we don't deserve it, <laughs> maybe if we step away from it for a moment and say, now, Lord, show me what I don't see, the Lord will say, let me tell you something. He said, I'm in this because I want you to be a new person. You've come into a new year. I want you to be a new person now. Here's what happens. What did I gain? as a result of the experience I just came through. Am I better as a result of it or am I worse? We understand the difference or even the parallel between spiritual warfare and chastening of the Lord. Things that happen to us, but things that God allowed. God allowed them in order to correct us. 
correction in our thinking, correction in our, in our character. I, I, I'm, I'm closing, but I want you to understand, I think about Saul of Tarsus, Paul, who became Paul. And, and, and God allowed him to have a thorn in the flesh. And he said, it is a messenger of Satan. Wait a minute, that's the devil. A messenger of Satan that would buffet him. And he said, and I prayed three times. I said, Lord, remove this thing out of my life. If anything, I want to take the path of least resistance. If there's any way for me to get past this thing, then me and you can, we, we're tight, we're all right. But he said, and then the Lord didn't say anything. First time, he didn't say second time. But after the third time, God finally spoke. But he didn't say what I wanted him to say. I thought God would say, since you are importune in your prayers, you keep staying with it, so I'm going to give you a reprieve so that thorn is removed. No, the Lord said, this is what the Lord said. The Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, I've graced you to endure whatever you're going through. I've I, I, I prepared you for this. I, the, through your experiences, I, I, I have positioned you so you can handle this. My grace is sufficient. He said, but here's another part. Here's a good part about it. My strength is made perfect through your weakness. He says, now you're going to experience a level of my strength that you would have never experienced beforehand. You're going to see my strength will be revealed in you and through you when you come to the place of giving over to me, into me entirely. So then... Here's the end of it. it. Not the beginning, but the end. Paul began to say, so therefore I glory in my infirmities. I glory in all the things that may be happening to me in life. He said, because I've come to realize that when I am at my weakest point, then God is at his strongest point within me. <laughs> Did you hear me? God then is at his strongest point within me. I begin to think about the challenges, even, uh, see, I'm not even covering up the fact that this, aggra this aggravation that took place over my throat. I said, but it's not going to stop or restrict the Word of God. I said, I said, I said, whatever it is, I said, I'm asking God to, uh, whatever it is, uh, deliver me from it, free me from it, it's been there for years now, but then it became worse in the last year or so. I said, Lord, free me from it. Deliver me from it because I got a job to do. I have, I have responsibilities. But the Lord said, but I'm going to give you insight, revelation. That will compensate for whatever may be a message after you cough. <laughs> that would be more powerful than the message you would have had before you even had a cough. <laughs> I said, okay, Lord, I glory in whatever may be appeared, may appear in the eyes of people as an infirmary, as long as you can provide the seed that can produce strength within the lives of those that can still hear me. Some people, I, I remember some people said, I can't receive from you if you have this thing or that thing or the other. I can't receive from you because you're black. I can't receive from a man that, that, that's struggling in any area of his life or any woman that's struggling in any area of her life. But, but understand what we're saying here is that the Lord is saying that when there are physical handicaps, 
or whatever that handicap may be, if you have placed your confidence and dependency upon the Lord, the Lord says, I will show you what real spiritual strength is all about. My strength, my strength is made perfect at your weakest point. And I'm going to show the world how strong I am. But I'll show them how strong I am in and through you. So, Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what you're making known to us. Thank you for the deliverance that's taking place. The deliverance that would bring us to the place whereby we, as your people, would not allow things that happen to us to stand in the way of who you're in the process of making us into becoming. But at a place, as Paul would say, that the things that happened to him for the furtherance of the gospel, so the things that happened to us as well is for the furtherance of the gospel. So, Lord, may your word go forth in power and might. May your word have the impact upon this generation as those things that need to be uprooted will be uprooted, pulled down and pulled up so that you may plant and that you may build in this place that which is of you. So with this, Lord, we give you the honor, we give you the praise, and we give you all the glory for who you are in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.